Welcome back to the show. It's 32 minutes after the hour. Bill Arnold here with you. I'm so glad you're listening, and thank you for supporting Faith Radio. Always a... I never get tired of saying that. Ever, ever, ever. So my next guest is uh, Jamie Rasmussen. He's the senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church, and he's uh, been there, been serving as an ordained pastor for more than 25 years in Detroit, Ontario, and Cleveland. Now he lands in Scottsdale, so something's going right in his life. (laughs) He's written a book called How Joyful People Think, Eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. I want to learn everything I can from you right now, starting now. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Bill. Good to be with you. I want to say I've been to your church on more than one occasion. When I work in the Scottsdale area, I always go to Scottsdale Bible Church. Well, yeah, exactly. We're, the desert is a rather young place, but Scottsdale Bible's been here for 55 years, yeah. which is really old for the desert. Yeah, and I, I've had great experiences there. So uh, this is really cool. I'm, I'm speaking to you now. And, of course, uh, your book uh, has got a foreword by uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, and we, we love him like crazy here on the show. He's actually going to be on the show Wednesday. Great. Yeah. yeah. Larry's a dear friend and has really influenced me a lot in my own thinking and the way I view the Lord and all that. So, yeah, he's, and he helped a lot with this book, too. Well, I, I want to talk about joy because I, 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 I love the idea that every day when we get up, we get to decide how we're going to choose to live. And I, yeah. I get up and I sometimes play the grumpy card, and I don't know why, but I do. And then I try to work my way through the morning, and then all of a sudden I'm a little out of the grumpy, but maybe not. And I don't have to do that every day, do I? No. Here's the deal about joy that I've been learning. I'm 54 years old. I've been a Christian for 30-plus years. And, you know, there are some people, very few, that are naturally joyful. My wife's one of them. She wakes up happy. She goes to bed happy. She's just a very naturally uh, joyful person. The rest of us, as I say quite often, have to fight for joy. And Mm. yet what I've learned over the years is that it is a choice because we can choose how we think, and the Scripture has some prescriptions on that level. And we can choose to at least place our lives in the realm of joy if we want to. Yeah, Jamie, I love the way you ex- expand it on the word whatever. That's a, yeah. a, a word that maybe is a little misunderstood. Would you tell our listeners what you mean by the word whatever? Yeah, you know, the book is built upon a one verse in the Bible, Philippians 4, 8, that many Christians are familiar with. You know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, and so on. And then it says, think about these things. And the promise of verse 9 is that the God of peace will be with you, and joy is always a byproduct of that. So the word whatever appears six times in one verse in Philippians 4.8, and what I point out in the book is that the way the Bible uses it is very different from how it's used today. Today, people use it either in the Doris Day way from that great song, you know, K sera, sera, mm-hmm. whatever will be, will be, kind of a fate-laden, you know, whatever usage or the sarcastic teenager usage when you ask your teenager to clean their room and they say, uh, whatever, (laughs) something like that. Hmm. But the Bible uses this word very differently. It's a word of extent, uh, of vision, of as much as. It's a word that begs us to dream about all the potential possibilities associated with whatever it's being used in light of. So when it says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, it's telling us to think of every possible scenario that could be true of our lives if we were to think in that way. 
All right. I wonder if many listeners have put their arms around that before today. You know, the whatever mm-hmm. word. Um, because it's a, it, you, the way you describe that and put it in a great context makes me excited about that word. Yeah, but I'm not sure we have. I mean, I know that at least, Bill, for me, I hadn't until three years ago I started this project. A great example I, I share in the book is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a driver. When, when I was 15 and a half and my dad was teaching me to drive back in Cleveland, he said to me one day, hey, Jamie, driving is an honor, not a sport. And I've joked for years, I got that one backwards <laughs> because I, I love to drive and I love to drive fast. Mm-hmm. And the downside of that is that there's times I'm on the freeway and I'm frustrated, uh, stuck in the left lane with somebody slower or whatever, and it can really grate on my nerves. And I'm not proud of that. It's just the way that I get. And what I've learned to do over the last few years is that when anything like that, whether it's driving or something, comes my way in the day, I will start to filter it through the thought patterns of Philippians 4.8. So whatever is true, well, it's true that sometimes I drive in the left lane, you big old hypocrite, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever is honorable. Well, it wouldn't be honorable to tailgate this guy or whatever is just, you know, well, justice isn't for me to have on the freeway. That's for police officers. And I point out in the book that just going through the exercise of all the potential whatevers calms me down puts me in a better frame of mind, gets me in the right lane, and I start to have joy. Boy, I don't know if I want to be living in your head when you're behind the wheel. No, you don't. I'm a mess. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, define, <laughs> let's define true joy, Jamie, like what it is and what it's not. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, joy is distinct from happiness, Bill. Uh, you know, ha- happiness is actually described in the New Testament. It's the Greek word hedone, where we get the English word hedonist from. It's simply pleasure. I talk about this in the book. And the love of pleasure is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's the love of a good meal or, you know, the love of watching a great TV show or whatever uh, gives you some pleasure. But that is so different than joy. Uh, Joy is a a longing, a desire, a thirst that's built upon hope. Uh, Lewis said that joy is an unsatisfied desire that's more desirable than any other satisfaction. And so joy, most writers have pointed out over the years, goes so much deeper than mere happiness. And the beauty about that is this longing and desire that conjures up hope in the soul is that you can have joy in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of even depression and discouragement. You can have joy there. You're not going to find happiness there. But God is willing and wanting to give us joy in any and every circumstance, a la Paul the Apostle in jail in Rome singing songs. So there he is in jail facing his death, and he has joy. Yeah, that's crazy. So is is joy filtered through prayer or... I'm just trying to figure this out, Jamie. It, yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I think of Paul, you know, heading towards execution, singing. I go, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> and now I'm trying to think <laughs> if I'm going to be joyful all the time. I mean, you did some analysis, and when you're in your car, uh, you you yeah. you did Philippians four eight in your head, which was very cool. But do we do we find joy when we're when we're just in prayer or? Or do we have joy established as how we're going to live throughout the day when we get up? Well, that's a great question, Bill. And and, and let me, I boy, I've been trying to say this often as I've been 
talking more about joy over the last couple of years. Uh, the one thing that I don't want ever to be misunderstood when we talk about joy is that somehow the pathway to it is formulaic. It's not. Uh, there's a complexity in the scriptures, and you're pointing this out, that joy comes through prayer, it comes through faith, it comes through closeness with God. As I point out in the book, it comes through how we think. I would also say joy comes through circumstances, uh, it comes through relationships. There's no one set formulaic pathway to joy. Uh, having said that, there are things in the scriptures that say, as you posture your life in, in, in light of these things, like how you think, you're going to posture your life in a position that God's going to give you some joy. Because at the end of the day, we need to remember joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's God's work in us. So our job is to kind of get in the way of what God is doing in a good way, stand in the pathway of what God is doing. And I point out in the book that we can do that in how we think about the world around us. That's one of the ways we can tap into joy. Jamie, have we kind of lost our sense of wonder? Oh, gosh. You mean as evangelicals? Uh, you just, yeah, I suppose. I mean, because there's so much joy to be had in such simple pleasures, but if we've lost our sense of wonder, we ignore all that. Yeah. I don't know if this is what you're getting at, Bill, but I think we have. I mean, I talk, again, we mentioned Larry Crabb earlier. Larry's influenced me this way. You know, many Christians today want to get it right. They want to have a technical approach to their faith, you know, to, quote, do the right things. They want to get their emotions right, their finances right, their marriage right, their kids right. The problem is, is that, again, life is not formulaic. Life has a lot of mysteries and profundity to it. And at the end of the day, life is all about relationship. That's what Jesus taught us. It's love of God, love of others. It's messy. But as we enter into the tunnel of chaos, of relationality, um, God tends to meet us in that. And one of the things I point out in the book is that that's where joy can be found as well, if we're willing to do that. Well, thanks for being gracious with me, Jamie, because I hardly ever know what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you mentioned three things to practice before you react. You say wisdom, perspective, and discernment. Let's go to town on each yeah. one. Yeah, you know, that's chapter three of the book, and I and I write about the fact that it's my favorite chapter because it's so not me. Uh, <laughs> I write about, you know, the scriptures say whatever is honorable, think about these things. Sometimes it's translated noble or dignified. It's the Greek word semnos, and when you drill down on the, and its rich history, it's describing a non-reactionary person. And part of what God is saying is that we find joy in not reacting to everything around us, but we find joy in a stable, more solid approach to the circumstances and issues around us, more of an unmovable force, and to learn to think that way. And then the question becomes, once you get that, is how do you do that? And I point out in the chapter that uh, through self-control, through wisdom, and through steadfastness, uh, one can start to develop a non-reactionary spirit. And, and the key to me, at least there, for me personally, was self-control, because I, I tend to not want to slow down before I respond. I tend to react to things around me in a fast-paced sort of way. And my wife years ago said, you know, you need to count to five before you respond. 
And then our joke in the family is five seconds isn't near long enough. So <laughs> I, I point out in the book, I count to 60. Sometimes it's days before I respond because self-control is something that we can do as followers of Jesus. And through self-control and wisdom and steadfastness, uh, we can start to develop a non-reactionary spirit. And here's the cool thing, Bill. It really does. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. You will find yourself surprised by joy if you can learn to apply these things to your life. Mm-hmm. The the reactionary thing, Jamie, has got me thinking, and that's never mm-hmm. a good thing on live radio that I think. Um, <laughs> because uh, the the whole idea of, of re- reacting poorly, I'm guilty of, I think, every day. Mm. Thanks for bringing that up. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I can do to make you feel more guilt, that's my job. <laughs> but how, how do I take that negative reaction garbage uh, and get joy in its place so I do calm down, I don't react, you know, is counting to 60? I mean, I think that's, it sounds like it's good in theory, but I don't usually do that very well. No, none of us do. I think it's one of the reasons, Bill, that we do a drive-by when it comes to this verse. You know, Philippians 4.8 is one of the most common verses in, in, in the Bible. Everybody learns it and memorizes it and quotes it. But what we do in the book, and I did this actually for my church three years ago, is that we slowed way down and we park in front of each word for an entire chapter. We did it for an entire week when I did this for, with our church. And we do what I call a deep dive into those and, and slow down and try to understand exactly what Philippians 4.8 is getting at with these different lines of thought. But that's where the real work starts, because I've shared with my church regularly, Bill, that these things take a lifetime to master. Um, as you say, we fail every day. But as Swindoll said so well years ago, if sanctification can be three steps forward and two steps backward, at least we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, that the Scripture promises is that as we, you know, fumble our way through learning to think as God wants us to here, joy really can start to become more a part of our spirit and become part of our relationships. All right, Jamie, I want to ask you about joy killers when I come back from break. I'm speaking to Jamie Rasmussen. He is the senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church. He's written a book called How Joyful People Think, Eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. Take a short break and be right back. It is 12 minutes until the top of the hour, and my joy will be there if my guest is still on the line. Jamie Rasmussen is my guest. He's a senior pastor of Scottsdale Bible Church. He's written a book called How Joyful People Think, Eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. Are you still there, Jamie? I'm still here. Ah, what a relief. All right, let's talk about joy killers. So if I'm believing you know, lies about God or lies about myself or others or my situation, if I'm doing that, I'm guessing my joy is dead on arrival. Well, sure. I, I think most people would agree that wrong thinking is going to lead to a lack of joy. So if you think wrong about a situation or wrong about your life in general, it's going to hard to be to line your life with reality, and you're not going to have joy in that. Mm-hmm. You, put a, you did a whole chapter on uh, pleasure, uh, 
Whatever yeah. is lovely. Why did you dedicate a whole chapter to that? And can you talk about that chapter? Oh, sure. And that's a great question. Look, one of the things we do in this book is try to get down to the, the, the root meaning of these words as they occurred 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, because that's what Paul was writing in as he was inspired by the Spirit. But to get behind just our English translations and understand the core meaning of what these words are about. And that word lovely is a fascinating word. We translate it correctly. It's the Greek word prosphiles that comes from the word phileo, which many people know means love. And phileo means a, a pleasurable type of love. And so the word prosphiles means to think about whatever is toward pleasurable love. And once you understand that, Bill, what you start to realize is that what Paul is saying there, what God is saying there, is that we need to start to think about things and even align our lives with things that give us pleasure. You know, John Piper's right. It's okay to be a Christian hedonist in that sense. And what I point out, however, is that when you follow then the trajectory of that word throughout the Greek Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see all of its occurrences, we do this in the chapter, you realize it kind of fits into three buckets that the Bible says to find your pleasure and safe people in solid activities and in the sound view of God. And so to your original question after the break here, uh, what we're realizing just in this simple word, lovely, is that we can learn to find pleasure in how we think about God, in the activities we have, and in the people that we hang around. And in those, rightly understood, we can start to find joy. I like that, Jamie. And I'm thinking about lovely and is Beauty, does that fall under the lovely category, beauty? I think it would. I don't talk about that in the chapter, but yeah. I think that but I think that would. I think that, that if you for instance, if you find beauty in a mountain stream or yeah. beauty in a yeah, I I think that, that that would be included in those solid activities and, and, and things like that that can give you pleasure and give you joy. Because I guess the next question would be, where, where should followers of Christ find pleasure? Because, you know, if you look yeah. at beauty, you look at beauty, we never tire of beauty. I mean, you certainly tire of food and sex and everything else, but you reach a point where you go, I'm not tired of looking at the ocean with the water yeah. crashing against the shore. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, again, I, I argue in the book that we should find our pleasure in certain kinds of people and certain kinds of activities, activities and in a, in a particular view of God. And, and so let's take the people thing, for example. You mentioned that you had Larry and others like that on your show often. You know, they would tell you that trying to stay in toxic, codependent relationships, you know, are probably not at the end of the day going to give you peace and joy when it comes to your walk with God, if those are your core relationships. And so I write about in the book how to find and what to look for in safe people. In fact, I list about 10 traits that I look for in the safe people around me that can give me joy. And if I can have, Bill, just a few relationships like that, it prepares me then to minister to all the other people that come my way that probably aren't going to give me joy, that probably aren't going to be safe, but that God wants me to minister to. But my base and the joyful part comes from those safe people. Jamie, can you give me a couple of those traits? Because you have me very interested in what they might be. 
Just a couple. Yeah. Well, well, one of them you're going to love. I mean, obviously it would include things like, you know, that they, they know the Lord and love oh, sure. him. Um, but, you know, one of my traits that I list is humor. Oh, good. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a home where it wasn't a Christian home, but my dad, who's still alive, has a tremendous sense of humor. In fact, <laughs> it was kind of funny. He, he finds humor even in difficult situations. And when my mom was alive, she would say, you know, Frank, not everything is funny. And he would look <laughs> at her and say, yes, Carolyn, everything is funny. <laughs> and, and And so for me... You know, somebody who has a good sense of humor tells me they have a take on life that is is, is relaxed in one sense, that's critical thinking in another sense, because they can find humor even in difficult situations, and that makes me feel safe. So humor, godliness, people that are good listeners. Uh, another one I list for me is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. Because in my world, people come and go. And so, you know, and people say they love you right away and then go find another church, which is fine. I get that. But those that stick around through thick and thin in my life, they capture my attention and they become safe people for me. Well, I love you right away and I can, I'll can. i have you back on the show whenever you want to come back, back on the show. So there you go. Invite me. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, my, my guest before you, Jamie, we were talking about a book she wrote called Holy Sexuality. And so when we talk about joy and holiness, is it, uh, is it possible like for the average person today sitting in the church pew to just to be holy? And, and how do you become holy? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the um, words mentioned in Philippians 4.8 is this idea of holiness. It's the idea behind the word pure, whatever is pure, think about these things. And it's the Greek word hognos, where, you know, the main Greek word is hagios for holy, and so this is a cognate of it. And yet what's cool about this word is that it's used in both behavioral as well as relational contexts. And most people think of holiness as a behavioral thing, like I need to be more righteous, get my act together, and and there's truth to that. But what I point out in the book is that holiness also has a relational component to it. In other words, God measures our holiness in how we love others, how we interact with them, how we relate to them, how we relate to Him. And what's so cool about that is that it's not an added pressure to our holiness. It's actually where we find joy, that when we can learn to elevate holiness, not just to the behavioral component, but to the relational component of our life, we're not going to be as legalistic, not as grumpy. We're going to find ourselves more grace-filled and more joyful, even through our holiness. Mm -hmm. We have a couple of minutes left Jamie, so let me ask you about uh, joy and the joy you might have from uh, having a personal reputation that that you mm. that, that you like. <laughs> you're you're pleased. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I'm saying this, but you're pleased with your reputation, or you're you're feeling like um, you have joy as a result of it. Yeah. Again, that's one of the things that God asks us to think about to give us joy uh, is our reputation. And it's so cool because when you think about it, a reputation has two components. It's made up of your behavior, but then what others observe about your behavior. And when both of those things align, when you have good behavior and others see it, you develop a good reputation. But conversely, if 
you aren't very good and others see that. You got a bad reputation, but even more crazy, there's times where you are good and others don't see that, and that messes with your reputation. And so part of what God is saying is, hey, give thought to your reputation, work as hard as you can on it, because when it's good, it will go well with others around you, and that will give you joy. Uh, Real quick, a story along that lines. When I was writing the book, I was hiding away at a little place in Michigan, and a real small town. In fact, the town is one-seventh the size of my church. That's how small this town is. And the AC went out, and I called the AC repairman, found out he was a believer, and we had a wonderful conversation. And a few days after that, I was telling my neighbor about this HVAC guy, and he said this to me, Bill. He said, man, that guy is a really good guy, and everybody loves him. And I thought, wow. His reputation went before him, and it's really yeah. cool. Jamie, you're a smart, funny guy that uses occasional big words, so I'd love to have you back on the show. <laughs> I'd love to be back. All right. We'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. 